your Locked On Senators, your daily podcast on the Ottawa Senators, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Jake Sanderson, and you're listening to Locked On Senators Podcast. I'm Tim Stützle, and you're listening to the Locked On Senators Podcast. Welcome inside episode 499 of the Locked On Senators Podcast. I'm Ross Levitan on the outskirts of enemy territory in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Alongside Brandon Pillar up in the Blue Mountains. And we have a two for two games to break down from the Ottawa Senators weekend. They had a 3-2 loss on Saturday to the Boston Bruins. And on Sunday, it was a 2-1 defeat in regulation to the New York Rangers. And Ross, we're a goalie-friendly show and lots of attendee action last night. Gus comes back to the NHL, gives his team a chance to win. And Igor Shosturkin was inches away from scoring a goalie goal. Thank goodness it didn't happen against the Sens, though. We'll break down both of those games. And the Belleville Senators are in action this afternoon. They've been red hot. Who's been contributing to that success? And the NHL trade deadline is exactly one month away who could be on their way out we'll get into all that and more today's episode is brought to you by bet online bet online has you covered this season with more props odds and lines than ever before it's bet online where the game starts now let's get into the locked on senators podcast your team every day Thank you for making Locked On Senators your first listen on this Monday, February 21st in Pilsy. It's a holiday across the the country, but it's also really time for the Senators to take a deep breath after such a grueling stretch of hockey. Yeah, I mean, this is one of their lighter weeks, Ross, with only a game on Tuesday and Saturday. So they get a bit of a breather here. Hopefully all the players get to enjoy times with their family on family day, but Locked On Senators podcast, we're your team every day, and you guys are just like family, so we're here grinding it out. We certainly are. And if you, I told you at the start of this busy stretch for Ottawa that they would go about 500, 4-4-1 since the game against the Devils, they would be missing their number one defenseman for half of those games. They were missing their number one center, their number one right winger, their number one goalie. All your number ones. I think it's pretty fair to say that they had an impressive stretch here for what they've been dealt. Absolutely, yeah. And especially, Ross, when you take into account all those injuries and then you look at the teams they've been playing as well. So I, I for sure think that this team deserves a lot of credit. The guys that have stepped up, I'm talking the the Brandstroms, the Nick Pauls, the Tim Stutzlas, all three goalies when they've been playing have been very good in this stretch. So, And you got to tip your hat to the coaching staff as well because this doesn't happen. You don't have these kind of close games when you're down so bad up against contending teams. You're only losing by one goal and it's right down to the wire if you don't have good structure, good systems, and if everybody doesn't know their role. And I think the coaching staff has everybody working really well here. And that's apparent when all these injuries just keep adding up. Who is your MVP over this past stretch for Ottawa? Let's say since the All-Star break. I mean, I would love it just to give a blanket statement to the goalies, but since they've all kind of played sporadically here, it's hard to do that. So I'm going to go with Tim Stutzla because he's been really cast into a center position. 
he was on the wing to start the season. Then they said, okay, let's try at center. And he only gets a handful of games in Ross as a second line center before Josh Norris goes down. It's like, oh, well, we know we, we wanted to try you slowly at center here, but now you're going to be our number one center. And sure, maybe the Knights in the faceoff dot aren't so great for Timmy, but we're really seeing how this has changed his game, how being a centerman, it's allowed him to have the puck on a stick more. It's allowed him to show his skills with skating, his ability to break out of the zone, carrying the puck out. Like you mentioned, uh, Ross, in the postcast, that little dipsy doodle he had on Panarin. Normally, that would drive me crazy doing that in the defensive zone, but he pulls it off now because he has the time with the puck and he's able to control the play a little bit more than he would with a, as a winger waiting for the play to come to him. And in turn, I would say he's improved his defensive side of the game in in spades. Like he's so much better defensively now that he's not just stuck on the wall and doing those puck battles up against the boards and in the corners where he's not really going to succeed there. So really, I would say Tim Stutzla has been the MVP during this stretch because he's had the biggest task put upon him. Another guy with a huge task, my MVP over this stretch is Nick Holden. We know what he's nice. done defensively killing penalties, allowing the Senators to skyrocket up the charts if you're looking at the best PKs in the NHL. But for him, he's had a little bit of offensive flair, oh, yeah. tied for the team lead in points since the All-Star game in those nine games. His six points is likewise with Connor Brown and Brady Kachuk. Only difference is you're looking at a plus six for Nick Holden as well. And yes, it's not like he's going to be putting up that amount of points per game all the time, but it's a nice compliment for a guy who's really shown a lot I think this year and earned his contract extension and really these numbers are just jumping off the page so Nick Holden for me will be my MVP and a shout out too to Connor Brown I mentioned like yep. you noticed his absence when he was out of the lineup especially with Brady or sorry with Drake also being but when uh, when you get a guy like him back I mean he took a huge hit on Saturday as well I think we can kind of translate transfer into some recaps and on Saturday like that set the tone. It was a physical game for both teams. Absolutely, yeah. And the hit you're referencing is Charlie McAvoy. Nice open ice hit right in center ice on Connor Brown. And you know what I liked about that hit, Ross? And it sounds funny saying as a tennis fan, but there wasn't an immediate gloves-off fight. Right. Everyone knows it's a clean hit. Connor Brown, he gets up and you can see on his face, he's like, damn, like he got me there. <laughs> but it's not like a big issue. We don't, like, it's part of the game. So, yeah, I wish uh, Sens player wasn't on the receiving end of a hit like that. But as a fan of the game, it's nice to see a big open ice hit that doesn't cause a stoppage in play immediately after just because it's a big show. So I think definitely it was a physical game. Anytime you're going up against the Boston Bruins, you've got to expect a physical game. And uh, that one certainly was physical. Which Tim Stutzla goal impressed you more? The one on Saturday or the one on Sunday? I would say the one on Sunday, just because the, the Saturday goal, don't get me wrong, is a nice goal, but that's a rebound where you're all alone, point blank, time and space. You you should be able to beat a goalie there, hopefully, whereas the one in last night's game, I, I love goals like this, Ross, where a player's just able to come up down the wing. He looks at Formington. It's a bit of a two-on-one play. He looks at the pass, says, ah, I got a little more space on the shot here rips it on Igor Shosturkin, top shelf blocker side. You gotta love to see that. I love guys that can just walk in and rip it past a goalie like that. So that was my favorite goal. You mentioned Alex Formanton, who joined Tim Stutzla on that two-on-one. He didn't get any power play time on Sunday night, and we were talking about how lethargic the second unit is. It's just a bunch of guys who yeah. probably shouldn't be on an NHL power play. 
why why wouldn't you throw him out there? DJ Smith said he wants him to focus on five on five, but like, I mean, at some point you got to look down the bench and say who's got the best chance to put the puck in the net, especially on that late power play. Yeah, if I'm DJ Smith and I'm looking down the bench, I'm trying to pick up my second power play unit. Chris Tierney, Alex Formanton. Uh, I think I probably would have gone with Alex Formanton on that uh, decision there, but you know what? I, if if he's thinking I want to keep Formy fresh, uh, he's playing uh, more minutes. He's going to be playing on the PK. I don't. I don't really know. I don't have a justification for why that decision was made. But if we're talking about last night's power play, they only get the one power play, and sure, they don't capitalize on it, but they did get five shots, and they did have a lot of ozone pressure. So for Two units, I'll even say the first unit isn't even that great because you're missing so many top guys. For two units that are just completely weakened by injuries, I, I was impressed with what they were able to do. It's just, you got no finishers. So sure, you can get five shots, but nobody is going to have uh, something that's going to be able to beat a guy like Igor Shosturkin more often than not. So that's where you come into trouble. We were complimenting the Senators' top of the umbrella and how Branstrom moves the puck quickly, but I'm starting to think he's only putting the puck side to side. Like he's not getting pucks on net. I'd like to see him just kind of wind up and fire one on, especially when you know Brady's in his office right there. So that would be something that I think could help the power play a little bit. It's been stagnant, and I mean, it's not a surprise. They were like top fifth, they were top half of the league when they had all their guns, but you take four or sorry, three of the top five guys out off the first unit, obviously it's going to drip. The DJ had a fair comparison. Yeah, take off Fox, Panarin, and Zibanejad from the Rangers power play, and then see Honestly, how they do. Yeah, for real. So, and that's that's what we're dealing with here. So, I, you know, you want the power play to have success, and there's no excuses. But I think it's we we can give them a bit of a break here. Yeah. So Panarin gets the game winner on Sunday, and what more do you want from Gus? Like this guy stopped two point blank opportunities from Mika Zibanejad on the other side. And then, yeah, Panarin just walks out, just smacks one right high glove on on Gus. And Ross, this game, although like it was very disciplined from both teams, only three power plays the whole game, but it was the two penalties for the Senators that decided this game, in my opinion. Zaitsev takes the holding penalty, Panarin scores. And just quickly, to get in that Panarin goal, I watched it again this morning. It's insane the accuracy and release and power he was able to get. That was a half clapper, Ross. Like, if you go back and watch, he doesn't even fully wind his stick up. He goes halfway, and boom, like that, it beats Gustafson. Because as soon as he starts gliding in towards the net, it's Artemi Panarin. The Senators are like, oh, damn, this is a guy we cannot let get closer. So they start putting pressure on him, and he sees that. He does a half clapper and gets that kind of uh, shot off. So what are you going to do there, right? But going back to the power plays, And then the other uh, penalty they took was Nick Paul later in the game. And that was a little bit after the Sens had their own power play. I thought they gained a little momentum on that. But when Nick Paul takes that penalty, sure, the Rangers don't score. But the the balloon fully deflated after that, I thought. Like they just, they weren't able to kind of keep the pressure on after the Rangers got that power play. So I, I thought those were really the telling signs of this game. Another note from this game was Philip Gustafson. We'll get into his performance, then some NHL trade talk before wrapping up with a Belleville Senators and Senators prospect update. But first, a word from our friends at Built Bar. It's the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. They come in so many great flavors. You have to try them for yourself to believe just how delicious Built Bars are. 
Next time you're on their website, BuiltBar.com, available wherever. You just pick up your phone right now, go to BuiltBar.com, and use promo code LOCK15. Why not get the mix box? Try all the great flavors that Built Bar has to offer. They're low in calorie, low in sugar, but they're high in protein, high in fiber. That's a delicious treat that's good for you as well. So Built Bar is great for the health conscious guy or girl, 100% covered in chocolate. Go see them for yourself at BuiltBar.com. And next time you do, use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off your next order. It's Built Bar, the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. All right, Pilsy. So the Senators, yes, they only earn one point on the weekend. Hmm. I feel like you said that about a team. Hey, you know what? I will gladly accept mushing the Toronto Marlies. Like, I, I hyped them up. I said, and just to be clear, I said, I hope the Senators can get at least one point. I didn't say I think they're going to get one point oh. or they will get one point. Just a little clarification on that one. Mm. But they end up getting... Two wins up against the Marlies, both one-goal games. And if you had to guess who's a finisher on Belleville to score those game-winning goals, it's pretty easy to point out. Back-to-back. Back-to-back game winners up against your biggest rivals. Igor Sokolov, he, he loves those moments. And I think he's really a guy that when he's in Belleville, he's like, you can put that weight and that responsibility on me. And, and I'll cash in. I'll come up clutch. And that's exactly what he did. Because, sure, they get both wins, Ross. But in uh, the last game, I'm just going to the game sheet here. The Marlies outshot them 40-26. to 26, And they come out with a 5-4 OT win. So that's kind of what I was getting at. Is this Marlies team is a powerhouse. And they can beat up on teams. But... Belleville somehow manages to get a W. Well, we got to give some stick taps to Kevin Mandelazy. Absolutely. In yeah. goal. That's a huge performance from him back from Atlanta. He was in the uh, the coast for a little while, and now he's back. And then uh, you've got the big win from Mad Sogard on Friday night as well. He made 27 saves on 30 shots to get the weekend rolling. And their weekend continues now against the Syracuse Crunch. Now, the two wins against the Marlies are huge for Belleville in the standings. They were toiling away near the bottom now, albeit the U.S. teams in the division have played about 10 more games than Laval, Toronto, and Belleville. So that in itself gives you some extra runway. And now the, the those games don't matter if you don't win them. So these two games right here are extremely important because at the end of them, they could be below Syracuse or they could be looking down at them and saying, we don't even associate with you guys anymore. We've got seven games in hand and we're five points ahead of you in the standing. So these, uh, these two afternoon games here, two o'clock. So while you're listening to this, it might be ongoing right now. And to pick up on your point with Igor Sokolov, back to back overtime game winners for Sokolov. And now he's up to 16 points in his last 16 games. He leads this team in scoring with 30 points in 35 games. And the goal scoring is now coming around. Remember we were kind of joking that it was mostly assists this year, whereas last year it was mostly goals. Well, he's even that out in a hurry, 14 and 16, respectively, for Igor this year. So credit to him, credit to the Belleville Sens for a couple big wins. They'll continue that yeah. on tonight. And they're doing it without the goalie who you kind of thought would be the guy who they'd rely on a little bit more. Philip Gustafson, he was busy getting his, his work in with Ottawa. So what did you think about his performance against the Rangers? I thought Gus played really well. Like we already mentioned, a couple big saves on uh, Zabanajad. I thought uh, his rebound control was pretty decent. And 
Gus, when he's in the zone, you can tell because he's very sharp uh, with like his angles and his positioning. Like he's very good at cutting down the angle. He's good at getting across uh, his crease and making sure he's square to the puck, square to the shooter. So, you know, I thought he did a really good job. And Ian Mendez just did an article on Gustafson and he was saying that that period, and we talked about this, Ross, where he hadn't played a game for like three weeks. That's tough on him because as a young goalie, you need the reps. It doesn't matter what league you're playing in. You just need to get in the game. And I thought now that he went down to Belleville, he got some games in there. He gets some confidence. Then he gets back up to the NHL. I thought he was put in a good spot. And up against a team like a rain, like the Rangers, you better hope your goalie's confident. Otherwise, they can make you pay big time. So you got to give it up for Philip Gustafson and all the goal. Like, honestly, Ross, we can trickle this all the way down to Mando. Like, we just talked about it. Like, Mando was in the East Coast League most of this year. He ends up getting called up, and he has a stellar performance up against the Marlies. Mad Sogard has been consistently solid for this team. And then Forsberg, he's playing great lately, and Matt Murray has uh, been back to where we hoped he would be. So, all around, and I'll I'll even shout out the goalie coaches, Justin Peter, um, He's Zach done Burke. A, Zach Burke. Yep, they've done really good jobs with the, the the group attendees here. So all around, from the goaltending aspect, this franchise is in good shape. And that trickles to Anton Forsberg, whose name you mentioned there as well. Since December second, Anton Forsberg has a nine twenty seven save percentage and a nine four and two record so far. So that's a huge sample size, seventeen games. What happens with him? At the trade deadline. Not bad for a waiver wire pickup, eh? Not bad. I mean, and again, I'll reference Ian Mendes' article because that was good because that brought a little, it shed some light on the Forsberg thing. Because I think, I don't know about you, Ross, so I'll speak for myself, but I had always been in the, the on the side, like, we got to trade Forsberg at the deadline, right? Like, Gus is on a one, one-way one deal next year. Um, Matt Murray is back, or he was at least. Um, uh, there's going to be teams that need some goalie insurance heading into the playoffs, especially a team like Colorado, where year after year they get burned by goalie injuries when they have one of the best teams, but playoffs come around and they're not prepared. So there's a market there for sure, and he's on a nice contract. And the Senators, you're not really gunning for a playoff spot or have any aspirations that way, so you can afford to lose a guy like that. But Mendez made a good point in his article talking about when Matt Murray was at his most successful years in Pittsburgh, he was 1A, 1B type goalie. Like, I'm not sure the Senators can really rely on him to pick up, play more than 50 games because of his health. Like, we all just know that. Like, it's a straight up fact. And then to rely on Gustafson to pick up the pieces when Matt Murray is injured, that's a lot to put on a young goaltender that no matter if you look at Gustafson all throughout his career, he hasn't really had consistent stretches with, with COVID, with battling with Hogberg and Decor down in Belleville with being stuck as a uh, sitting on the bench in the, as a backup for Ottawa. Like he hasn't had a consistent season yet. So I think it'd be tough to ask him to be a one B goalie in the NHL next season. So I'm really intrigued with what the senators are going to do here, but I still think you need to show faith in Matt Murray. You gave him that contract. He's played well recently and you need to show faith in Philip Gustafson. So even though Ian Mendes' article did a great job of pointing out, reasons why you should keep Forsberg, I think it makes more sense to to trade him at the deadline and hand the reins over to Murray and Gustafson. Yeah, and with Gustafson, this is a, a young but not so young goalie anymore. That's they the traded thing. for him four years ago, yep. Pelsey. 
Like at some point, like let's go. He's going to be 24 in June. So at the start of next season, you're going into your 24-year-old season. That's six years after the draft. Like I know goalies take longer to develop, and he's had some tastes of NHL action. Now he's got 22 games so far. Great save percentage because he was so good last year. The 933 really jumps off the stat sheet for him. But, yeah, it's time for him to, at the very least, maybe not be a 1B. And, again, Matt Murray's health could dictate that more than anything. But he has to be your one or two goalie next year, I think. I mean, he's on that one way. Sure, that's that's a part of it. But not only that, you can have a third-round pickback for a guy you picked up off of waivers. If they get something like that, I mean, it'd be hard to pass up on. There's there's goalies in the offseason. If you want to bring in a veteran guy That's to be a, be a backup or be a guy who kind of like Forsberg, they didn't really have any um, any investment in him, and he came in and played well. So th- there's lots of goalies out there. And if people want Forsberg this year, his stats are great. So why wouldn't you if you're a contending team and maybe you've been burned before like the Avalanche who had to start Andrew Hammond in a playoff game, Michael Hutchinson in Ugh. playoff games, like – they're the team that I have circled for Anton Forsberg that could be giving up that third round pick. And we'll see. I'm only speculating that would be the cost, but it would be something I would, right. pull, I would pull the trigger on that all day, every day. Now, do you have uh, Mendez also mentioned that uh, the 2023 draft is going to be a little bit deeper. Do you right. think the Sen should with all these uh, unrestricted free agents be looking at 2023 draft picks? I think that more so because they already have a few extra Picks exactly. for this upcoming draft, right? They've got, I think a it's second an extra... and then two more thirds. Yeah, exactly. So you're yeah. looking at six picks in the first three rounds, and albeit they don't have a fourth rounder for now, we'll see if Logan <laughs> yeah. Brown can play 13 more games. But they, they after that, only have the one extra second round pick they got from Nashville. Remember that seventh round pick two years away uh, for Eric Branson. Yeah. But, um, I, it doesn't matter to me. I'd probably lean 2023, not necessarily because of the strength of the draft, just because I don't think they need any more picks. Now, these picks are also just in inventory at this moment. Can they move them out and bring in a real NHL talent with them? That's a story that we can figure out later on as, as this all happens. But no, I, I wouldn't be too worried whether it's 2022 or 2023. I wouldn't go so far as what the Maple Leafs gave up yeah. in uh, in the Arizona trade, 2025. That's the longest distance away a team has ever traded for a pick. Yeah, Kyle Dubas, I don't think he's too worried about the 2025 draft, that's for sure. And just sticking on Anton Forsberg, I think you kind of owe it to the guy to give him a chance to... No, nah, they don't owe him anything. I, I think you... Or, okay, maybe you don't owe it to him, but he's going to be gunning for a multi-year deal, right? Like, I, I think, yeah. and if you're the Ottawa Senators, we've seen what happens when they hand out multi-year deals to backup goalies. It doesn't work out. So why not let him go to a contender, get some assets back, a draft pick, and then he has the ability to control his own destiny in the free agent market. Because you you don't want Forsberg for a two, like, really, ideally, if they kept him, you extend him for one more year. That's it. Yeah. Nothing more. Because... You hope at that point, we talked about Gustafson being 24. Well, he'll be 25 if you extend him another year. So I really think it's time to give Gustafson a chance here. And Matt Sogard and Mando deserve to kind of own the crease in Belleville as well. So I, And then you got Levi coming up too, or Levy Marilyn coming yep. up too, right? So this team, they got goalies. And you can find a veteran guy at the end of uh, the summer if you're really worried about that. So I think... 
you need to be comfortable letting Forsberg go. We got goalies, man. We got goalies. goalies. I mean, they can always call us if need be, right, Ross? Yeah, we're ready, man. We're ready to go. I got my bags packed. Actually, I'm not ready. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I got to do some stretching if I'm going to play an NHL game. Man, the content we could get with uh, just throw a mic on us in practice and and we'll have some fun. Uh, We also are going to have some fun tearing down this team in the trade talks. Who else could be on their way out a month away from the NHL trade deadline that's coming up? On March 21st this year, the Senators clearly don't have the pieces they did in 2019 or 2020 at the trade deadline, but there are a few interesting commodities that could fetch a return. We'll touch on that, and I feel like we're doing this every week. Ridley Gregg update again. Kids on a multi-point streak. We'll touch on him and some other news from the Sens prospect world. But first, Pilsy, you got a word from one of our favorite sponsors. One of our favorite sponsors, the presenting sponsor of this episode, it's betonline.net, where the game starts, guys. Sure, everybody loves betting on football, but now that football is over, you can still head to betonline.net and get some action in. There's hockey to be bet on. There's basketball. There's so many. Anything you want to bet on, sit on your couch, get in the action, and head to betonline.net, the trusted online sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network, and you know what a great thing to do is? I was riding such a high from placing that future bet on the Bengals to win the Super Bowl. Maybe you don't have something that tonight in these games you're you're cooking, but place some future bets. Like last night, I was looking at the Rangers. I thought this team has it all. They could go far. So I placed a future bet on them to win the cup. You can do that too. Just a little investment down the road, something to look forward to, and hopefully you cash in big. And you can do that at betonline.net. And hey, if you're not a sports fan, you want to play some casino games, you like blackjack, roulette, all the card games, you can head there too. They've got all your favorite games. So check out betonline.net today, where the game starts. All right, Pilsy. So the Ottawa Senators go into one more game before an actual deep breath, right? They've got Minnesota at home. Which is very a- interesting, Ross. You think Pierre Dorian's going to be scouting that game? <laughs> Oh, man, I I don't know what's going on with that. He must just love this central area because between North Dakota, Winnipeg, and Minneapolis, it's the golden triangle for Pierre (laughs) Dorian right now. Yeah, of the Midwest. So I don't know what Dorian is doing. I guess it'll it'll be easier for him to watch the Minnesota Wild when they get to play his own team. But this is a great team. Like, we'll we'll preview it more tomorrow, 500th episode, by the way. Looking forward to that. But – while we wait to preview that, being a month away from the trade deadline, I know we did kind of who we want to sign, who we want to keep, but this time I want to ask you what you think the return could be and maybe do some matchmaking of where makes sense for these guys to go. Now, the one I want to start with is probably the most interesting one just from the standpoint that hockey men will love adding a guy with Stanley Cup experience. Am I crazy to think that the player that the Sens could trade, like out of their pending restricted and or sorry, pending unrestricted free agents and and that sort of thing, that Zach Sanford could have the most value. I think so because you've seen what he can do. Like just a couple seasons ago, he had 16 goals. I mean, when he's put in the right position and uh, and and he's got players and uh, he's in the country that he wants to be in. I, you know I what? Think, you know what coaches love to say about Zach Sanford and whoever trades for him, if they do, will say this. Let's hear it. He's a guy who can move up and down the lineup. 
yeah, but Sanford doesn't like being moved up now. Oh, right, apparently. right. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, I think they're, I'm looking at cap friendly now, trying to find a team where it makes a lot of sense. And I think you could definitely look at a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning. Like he could be one of those guys in a bottom six role that helps them out for sure. I'm thinking Washington Capitals would be a good spot as well. Back to where it all started. Yeah, true. He he was drafted by the Capitals, that's for sure. And you got to think the Sens would be eating half of his his salary, not only to keep themselves past the cap floor in a sense, <laughs> but you also have the situation where he's in, he's unrestricted at the end of the year. What is that prorated? It's probably not a whole lot, no. and that way teams could easily fit a million dollars under, probably not so easily with two million. Yeah, that's definitely something the Sens would consider to try to up the return value for sure. Yeah, I, I would say those are the those are the main spots, Ross. Like you're looking at contenders that just need a little bit of extra depth. And the Pacific Division, the division that yep. everybody looked at this year and was like, that's a weak division. Anybody can make it. Well, they're turning into one of the powerhouses of the West, right? Like Tyler Toffoli just uh, went to the Flames. Like The Flames are, are the best story in the NHL right now. Nine straight wins, 12 wins in the last 14, and they're averaging like four and a half goals a game. It's a wagon status out there. Absolutely. Yeah. The flames are heating up, if you will. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I, I definitely think Sanford will garner some attention. I, I'm still on the side of, look, unless Tyler Ennis wants to be traded at the deadline and go to a contender game, I would rather just keep him just because he's a good guy to have around. Best ever lace him up. Why would you trade him? Um, I guess get Gretzky's been traded so anyone can get traded. Um, but, the, like, what are you going to get for him? Like, a fifth round, maybe at best a fourth round. I would rather just keep him here and uh, and have him be a good veteran that this team can rely on. That's one of the funniest things you've ever said on this show. The best <laughs> ever lace him out. Well, Gretzky's gotten traded. Uh, with, with Zach Sanford, watch for Boston, the hometown yeah, team. Yeah, Boston's good, too. Yep, they, they love their, their, you know, hometown and gritty guys. I think that he could be a fit with the Boston Bruins. I'm sure that would be his preference as well. So we'll see. We know agents play a bigger role than I think fans would like to admit around Mm -hmm. trade deadline, targeting where their guys want to go. Not that Sanford has the most, you know, pull. Um, Pierre Dorian could probably just laugh him out of the room. But at the same time, then you got to deal with that agent on other guys down the road. So we'll see. It's not that as Michael Delzato toils in Belleville, I don't know if they really care about the perception of what agents and players think about how they do business. But that to say, I'm going to call Zach Sanford to Boston. That's going to be my team like uh, for, for him. Tyler Ennis, I agree. I think it's best to trade or to keep him. But, you know, it's hilarious. The team that I have circled is the team that Ottawa traded to last time. Edmonton? Yeah. Yeah. Why not? A little extra depth there. They've been trying to find guys to, to compliment Drysaddle and McDavid. And... Why not have the best to ever lace them up with the best to do it right now? I just, I just think they wouldn't be that interested because they tried it and it didn't really work, right? Yeah. I mean, it worked down the stretch that first year. It was when they re-signed them that it kind of fell apart, right? Yeah. After the trade deadline, four points in nine games. Now, then the year got cut short due to COVID, right? Yeah. So it, it was just kind of a lost cause from that situation. And then in the bubble, he had two points in three games. Okay. It was the next year where it really started to to dissipate. He had da, 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 three goals and nine points in 30 games. So certainly not the same quality at all. But when the return was a fifth round pick, like just keep him. Like yeah. if that's the return, like I, I don't see what the rush is at all to move him. So I think, yeah, maybe 
And then Tierney, another interesting name because, again. You're going to have to eat salary on that one. Oh, you're going to have to. But, again, it's unrestricted. It's not that this is going to have any sort of term when you eat that salary. So I wouldn't be worried about it. I think maybe the the, the, uh, bottom line might say something different. But I think teams will see 27 years old with a lot of NHL experience, a guy who's put up points in back-to-back-to-back seasons when he had 40, then 48, then 37. Been to a Stanley Cup final. Been to a Stanley Cup final. He's got 40 playoff games under his belt. And I think he's a guy, too, that, like, you know, we've seen Chris Tierney. We know what he's all about. But maybe get him in a new environment, and he he could flourish. Like you said, when he originally came to Ottawa – he was a he was an apple man, like thirty nine yeah. assists on a crap team. He was he was solid. So I think a new setting for Chris Tierney could do wonders. But that three point five mil cap hit for a fourth line center on a contending team, that's not going to get it done. So the Sens are for sure going to have to eat salary just to move him. Like that, like with Sanford, we're talking about eating salary to bump up the value with like Chris a Tierney to a third. Technique. Exactly, yeah, Chris Tierney, you have to start with retaining salary just to get teams interested. But him at 1.75, I think could be useful to a team. Definitely. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Do you have any teams circled for him? I mean, I still have, uh, obviously this wouldn't happen, but Chris Tierney in a Kraken jersey is just ingrained (laughs) in my mind. Like, obviously it doesn't make sense. It's not going to happen. But that's the first thing I think of just because I was so set on him going to Seattle. Um, I'm trying to think of teams that have center depth problems that uh, that maybe would need a little boost here. I mean, you can never have too many centers. Yeah, no, that's that's true. I, probably a team in the in the Pacific, Ross. Like maybe the the Ducks or Kings, if they're just looking for it's like, like a, a, he- a heavy team, right? That's a heavy division. You're not going to have as many speed burners, and I think he could excel yeah. back. I mean, we saw him excel there with exactly. uh, San Jose. Yeah, so so I would say one of the teams in the Pacific, like one of those teams that didn't gear up for a playoff run, but now that they're in the midst of it, they're like, oh, maybe we need a little extra. So I would look at one of those teams. Yeah, Los Angeles catches my eye, but they yep. also have so much young talent down the middle. Like, do they want to disrupt any of well, that? Well, he'd be a rental, right? Like, I don't think any team is uh, frantically extending Tierney when they acquire right. him. I'll say Nashville, a team that was right in the thick of it. In they the, got a lot of center in, depth, though, don't they? In the central, yeah, they've they've got definitely up front. I mean, with uh, with Duchesne and Johansson as their one two, but I think that they could be a team that just needs that little extra anything to get going because yeah. they they're a team that I mean they've lost four games in a row, but beyond uh, beyond their their top two guys that I just mentioned, like Granlin plays a lot of wing there. As okay. well, and then you're looking at guys like Sissons and Coonan, and I mean, yeah, that's that's about it, really. Yep. Trannon plays the wing too. They got a lot of guys who are listed as center and wing, but I think they mostly play the wing. So if they brought him in to win some faceoffs, play on that fourth line, maybe you get a ringing endorsement from Matt Duchesne, uh, a guy well, who Boro. obviously has. Boro some, and Tierney yeah. were buddies, right? Yeah, for sure. And uh, stick taps to Boro with the extension too. We got to uh, we got to credit him there. Not sure why he settled for less than half of what he was making right now. Tax-free state. Yeah, yeah. Maybe there's Helps. that. I mean, he, he's got the young family too. Maybe he just wanted to be uh, in the same spot for for a little bit longer. So there's lots of reasons. But this this Nashville team, I, I think on paper, and they've got unbelievable goaltending. This UC Saros is, oh, is so good, such a player. So. Uh, I think that if they were looking to add, I think maybe you just look at the stats. Hopefully, you don't 
you don't have a, a pro scout at every Ottawa Senators game because then maybe you can look into the fact that he has one goal in his last 36 and games. can't score d- despite how much Tyler Ennis tries to set him up. Yeah, but like honestly, if they got a fourth rounder in eight half, like that, that would be a tidy bit of business, even just for the fact that it opens up a role once these other guys get healthy yes. for a guy like Godet or Gambrell to stay in the lineup. Also, man, Gambrell might be a so. guy who you could trade for something. They got him for a seventh. Maybe you get a fifth back for him. I mean, defensively responsible. He's proven that time and time again. I think I'd rather keep Gambrell only because he plays a specific role. He's a shutdown center and he's an RFA at a low cap hit. So the sense could, it'd be low risk to keep him and you know exactly what you're getting from him. So I, I would actually rather keep Gambrell personally, but he is, like you said, a contending team looking for a shutdown fourth center. It doesn't get much better than that. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure a team would go calling for Gambrell before they called for Chris Tierney. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, interesting. And the one I guess we'll finish off with the most intriguing because Sens fans, I believe, would love to have him signed, and that's Nick Paul. If he were to be traded, who's a team that you have circled for him? Well, we already talked about Boston. Like, I just think, man, he would do so well in Boston with that culture and uh, being able to play with guys like Marchand, Bergeron, and uh, like a third-line role for Nick Paul and the Bruins, I think he would dominate in. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, not to go back to who they're playing tomorrow and who Dorian's been scouting, but I'm sure that Minnesota would love to have him on their team as well. Yep, definitely. I mean, it's... I think it'd be easier, Ross, for us to go down the list and say who wouldn't want Nick Paul. Yeah. Like we could finish the segment faster with that because every team at 1.35 million, a young guy that's put in the work and can play up and down the lineup, can play on the power play, uh, can win faceoffs, can play on the wing. Like he's so valuable. Not to blow your mind, Pilsy, but oh, no. Nick Paul is one year younger than Chris Tierney. Yeah, yeah. Can you that believe is, that? That is funny to think of in that sense. Yeah. Chris Tierney's played over 500 NHL games. <laughs> wow. More than Sheesh. double Nick Paul, who's at 216. That is unreal. Yeah. That actually blew my mind. I need to take a deep breath. And I also need to regroup because <laughs> did I mush Ridley Gregg at the game I went to? It's the only game he hasn't had a point in the last like month and a half. That's so funny. Yeah. Like if you're going to see Ridley Gregg, like, you can kind of expect, like, I'm going to see some points here, and unless you're Ross Levitan, I guess. So, since the World Juniors, he's got one, two, three, four, five, six, six multi-point games since the World Juniors. He's now at 50 points on the season in 32 games. We knew that it was going to be a little bit easier for him in the WHL. We talked about before the season that it would have been so beneficial for him to play in the AHL. So what a shame that he was in the WHL because if he had played in the OHL, they didn't play last year. He would have been able to make that jump, but instead he has to go dominate against his age group. But what I really like to see, and yes, you can qualify this as saying he's going up against carpenters and mechanics uh, in the faceoff dot, but he's still snapping him back well over 55%. And the way that he plays, building strength is that much more important. We know he's dedicated to the game. You know that he's going in there and trying to get stronger every day because the way that he goes and gives everyone an extra tap, and makes yep. sure he's in the mix and throws big hits, he's going to have to stand up for himself in pro hockey, whether it's at the AHL or NHL level. So 
I don't actually mind that much that, that he's still down in, in Brandon. And what more can you say about him? Like this guy, he's got 10 points in his last five games. Like, I mean, this guy is just on an absolute tear. Yeah. I, and we expected this, right? Like when we talked to him earlier in the year, we knew he was just going to dominate down there and that's what he's doing. And uh, Ross, when he said he's going up against carpenters and mechanics, I was like, man, I got to look into this draft class. I don't know a carpenter <laughs> or a, a mechanic. Like, that was uh, a, little, a little miss by me, but yeah, that's like the competition is just too easy for him. And I think in, in Belleville, I don't think he would have to spend a lot of time there, but it would be a good transition just to show you, Hey, you're playing against boys. Now, now you got to figure out how to play against men. So typically you'd see this, and I mean, you will see this with Jake Sanderson, we expect at the end of the year, but Ridley Gregg's WHL season doesn't end until mid-April because they had a pause in their year. So you're probably not going to get to see him play any more games. Although it'd be great if you could at least call him up for the last game of the year so that he could serve his suspension and then be ready to go for next year. Yeah, no, that's smart. And, And I'm at a point now where like, Ridley Gregg is a pro hockey player. Like the only reason he's in the WHL is because of the way the system is set up, right? Like he's, he's ready to move on to the pros. Is he NHL ready? Maybe not, but definitely he, he is done with juniors. Six multi-point games in his last eight games, Pilsy. Six multi-point games. (laughs) And not only that, he's scoring big goals. He's got the game winning goal in the last game. He's got a Gordie Howe hat trick in there. As well, this guy just brings it at both ends of the ice. Like, what a stat line. 32 games, 23 goals, 27 assists for 50 points, plus 21, and he has 80 penalty minutes in 32 games. So it's a little bit of everything there for the Riddler. Yeah, I mean, he, he gets everything on the stat sheet. He does it all. All right, we chatted him up enough. Now let's wrap up with a guy who plays a very similar, robust style, and that's Tyler Boucher, who made his debut for the 67th, his home debut. Obviously, he had that one shift on the road about two weeks ago, got hurt, came back, played the game on Friday, didn't get suspended for that hit, although you could have convinced me that he might have, might have, should have been. <laughs> but it was questionable, definitely. The big hit. But he got in the lineup on Sunday afternoon. I think he had a little extra nerves in that game before you could see he was so intense. He knows that everyone who's at that game is an Ottawa Senators fan as well and wants to see what all the fuss was about, why they felt the need to reach for a guy who was ranked in the 40s. And by all accounts, and Arlo Leems Martian had uh, had his boots on the ground for that one yesterday, he gave us his rundown. He also posted an eight-minute video about all of his shifts. But what I took away from watching that was – Great instincts, great hockey IQ. He's always he's always moving around too. He's always he's got this motor and he always knows to go in the right areas. The puck's gonna find him. No points yet through two games in the uh, or three games rather in the OHL so far. But there there's a lot to like when you watch Tyler Boucher play. Absolutely, yeah. And I didn't get to catch that game, but following all, along with Leams Martian and Sense Prospect, like Sense Prospect posted a clip, a minute clip of one of his shifts and. He was all over the ice and he consistently found himself in the right spot that the puck found him, like you're talking about. And he had four shots in that game. Um, I really thought like once once he kind of calms down from the physicality, don't get me wrong, I love the physicality, but once he like 
lets that go and focuses on playing hockey uh, in the ozone, you can tell he know like his hockey IQ is right up there. Like he's able to get in the spots. He's able to make himself available for teammates to find him. So I think there's a bright future for Tyler Boucher, but I will preach patience on this one, guys. Don't expect him to come out of the gates flying with points. I think we're going to see a slower development curve here, especially when it's a young guy that hasn't played a lot of hockey and has had uh, some injury concerns to start off. So I'm excited for him, but I think it's going to take some time here. And, and like he's a young kid, so it's that's natural. And what better place for him to take time and develop? than in your own backyard with the Ottawa 67s. Yeah, it's a great spot. And word is Pierre Doria and Craig McTavish were both – or sorry, Craig McTavish? No, that's Peter. the old coach. Peter, yes, Peter, the assistant GM. I knew Darren right Peter. when it came out of my mouth. I was like, what? Um, <laughs> they, were, they were at the game too, so they got to see him up close and personal. Also, shout out the Nodak Sens. Back-to-back mm. wins this weekend. They've clinched first place Huge. in the NCHC, so they're going to host the first weekend – of playoffs. I thought about seeing if I could make it work to go, but the Belleville Senators are in Winnipeg that weekend. So stay tuned. I got a little fun announcement for that a little bit later on. But for today, we say goodbye. We've got episode 500 tomorrow, Pillsy. Bring the suit and tie. Let's go. It's a big one tomorrow. And it's a Senators game day. Not only that, but we're going to have a Belleville game to recap. We're also going to tee up they play the Syracuse Crunch tomorrow as well. So lots to get into in Sensland tomorrow. Thank you very much for listening to today's show. Please like and subscribe wherever you download your podcast. And hit us up on Twitter, at Sense Central. You can follow the show on Twitter as well, LockedOn.Senators. And if you want more content, we were on with John Chick from Locked On New York Rangers podcast. You can go find that as well on your favorite podcast app. But... For today, we say goodbye. For Brandon Piller, I'm Ross Levitan. This has been the Locked On Senators Podcast, your team every day.